College Basketball Insider. Some news and notes from around the world of college basketball. In-studio correspondent for WFAN and CBS Sports Radio. Attention please to John Rothstein. Please report to St. The Insider's Insider. Joining us now with his thoughts and to break it down, John Rothstein. It's College Hoops Today with John Rothstein. Let's put the women and children to bed and go looking for dinner. John Rothstein here on the College Hoops Today podcast. Later in the show, we'll be joined by Washington head coach Mike Hopkins as we give you our Pac-12 offseason breakdown from soup to nuts. want to remind you to subscribe to the College Hoops Today podcast on Apple Podcasts. We want to be your Bible for the college basketball season and beyond. We are the only college basketball podcast coming to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. Also want to remind you to check out the College Hoops Today fan page on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a review. Let us know what you think of the product we're bringing to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. And also send me your Pac-12 related questions on Twitter. I'll get to them later in this podcast. I'm at John Rothstein. That's John J-O-N. And today's episode of the College Hoops Today podcast being brought to you by Geico. Okay, I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but please stay with me. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years, and anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24-7. The company is Geico. Go to geico.com today. Sorry for all the numbers, and in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, I'm out of time. And now that we've got you set for all your Geico needs, let's get into the Pac-12 and let's be brutally honest, as we always are here on the College Hoops Today podcast. The league was an abomination last season. Utah finished third in the Pac-12 last season in the regular season standings. They were only 17-14 and overall. The Utes were nowhere near the NCAA tournament at large picture. Now, why am I so bullish on the Pac-12? Why do I think that the Pac-12 will bounce back at a high level in 1920? Elite recruiting at both Arizona and Washington. Arizona adds Nico Mannion and Josh Green in the backcourt. Washington adds Isaiah Stewart and also Jaden McDaniels. Isaiah Stewart, a player that many believe could have a Jared Sullinger caliber impact as a freshman at Washington. UCLA adds Mick Cronin. Obviously, that's a team last year that Fired Steve Alford in the middle of the season. UCLA finishes 17-16. and 16. I know Jalen Hands, Moses Brown, and Chris Wilkes are all gone to the NBA, but Mick Cronin at Cincinnati led the Bearcats to the NCAA tournament in nine consecutive seasons. I don't think he came to UCLA to not have his name called on Selection Sunday. And then you look at the returning talent in this league. Arizona State, Colorado, Oregon State all return pieces of significance. USC, another team that brings a lot to the table in terms of recruiting. And Oregon, as long as Dana Altman is the head coach, is going to be right there in contention for an NCAA tournament berth. Trying to rank teams 1 through 8 in the Pac-12 entering next season is comparable to trying to split an atom. And I really believe that teams that wind up being picked 5-6-7 in the preseason poll could easily wind up finishing 1-2-3. and three. One of those teams that will probably be picked 1-2-3 and three is the Washington Huskies and the head coach of Washington, Mike Hopkins, joins the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein coming up next. Washington was the dominant team last year in the Pac-12. Huskies won an NCAA tournament game 
for the first time under Mike Hopkins, and the head coach joins the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein right now. And Hop, you are known for your boundless energy, and there's been one thing that's been ignored throughout all the interviews you've ever done since taking your current post in Seattle. When did Mike Hopkins have his first cup of coffee? Oh, I had it early this morning, about 7.30. <laughs> all time, all time. When did Mike Hopkins have his first cup all time? Have, all time? Oh, geez. I never liked the taste. And I'm going to go with the first years when I started coaching because of the hours. You know, and you just start to accumulate a taste, get a little jolt, and your vert- my vertical jump went up 10 inches even after I stopped playing. Now, you made major waves a couple of years ago. You used one of your bonuses to buy free Starbucks for a bunch of students on campus. When Mike Hopkins wants his go-to at Starbucks, which obviously coincides with big figures and big presences in the great Northwest, what is his go-to? Organic Yukon on the Clover machine, grande. And I drink it black. I love it. It's strong, it's good, and it just makes me, you know, gives me a lot of energy. Loving it. And it's obviously rubbing off on your team. What are the biggest things you've learned in the couple of years you've been a head coach at Washington that you didn't know prior, maybe about running your own program? Well, I think, uh, you know, the basketball side, uh, I, th- I think, is the easiest part because you've played it. Uh, you've worked. With, I've worked with great coaches, uh Played for great coaches, and so the you know offense, defense, you know you're putting in your system. The one thing that I really you know learned a lot about, uh, and you really realize, is how important culture is. You know, a strong culture, how we operate, how we do things, and um, you know I think that with you know you know putting together our culture playbook and getting our staff uh, implemented on a day to day to day basis has been huge. Um, so we have an offensive system, a defensive system, but the most important system is our culture system. Well, and culture is one thing, and you obviously came with a lot of pedigree because of all the years you spent at Syracuse, but tangible results are such a big thing in the athletics period, especially college basketball. How big was it for your program to get over the hurdle of winning an NCAA tournament game for the first time as a head coach? Because that now becomes a new chip that you can tell prospective recruits about. Well, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great thing. And when we started, uh, when we got the job, uh, the staff and I have obviously, you know, you, you got to, it doesn't matter what you know, it's what getting them to know. And sometimes when you're teaching a defense or a part of your system, they can look at you like, is this really going to work? <laughs> and so it's the sell the buy-in. And, you know, from the beginning, we told these guys, you know, this wasn't a, a rebuild. Like we were, we were going to try to win now. And, and this is how we're going to do it. And so to see those guys that stuck with the program from the beginning, uh, a lot of the guys didn't leave. Um, and then uh, Jalen Noel staying and then having the other freshmen, Nas Carter and Hamir Wright, and seeing where we started and then just have the satisfaction of getting the chance to play in that tournament, you know, and if to feel it, to experience it, and to have success, I think was just – I was so proud and happy for the kids because very few times in life you have those moments, and that was an incredible moment. Washington head coach Mike Hopkins joined the College of Today podcast with John Rothstein. Huskies went to the NCAA tournament round of 32 last spring, fell to North Carolina. But the buzz is palpable right now in the great Northwest because of the incoming players that you're bringing to campus this fall. 
two notable ones, Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniels. Where would you rank the talent of this recruiting class versus the best you brought in at Syracuse as an assistant? Well, I think, you know, uh, it's high. <laughs> it's high. Um, not only are they great players, uh, but they're great people. Uh, they fit our culture, you know. Um, people always talk about, well, now are you in the one-and-done you know, age? We're in the getting the right kid uh, for our program, being one-and-done, two-and-done, three-and-done, four-year, redshirt uh, senior, whatever that may be. But this class, obviously, John ranks as good as I've ever been around uh, on both sides, you know, the personal side as well as the talent side. Well, and the big piece that we're going to get to to start is Isaiah Stewart, somebody from upstate New York who you were familiar with for a long time. You know, this is somebody that has been dominant against high-level competition. I know it's not college basketball, but he's more than held his own. When you sit around your staff and look at the type of impact that he could have for your team as a freshman, what do you project? Well, he's a guy that's he's game ready. Uh, you know, some guys it takes time in college. He's a guy physically, athletically, mentally uh, checks all the boxes to be able to go out and impact. Um, he already plays exceptionally hard. He's got a Ferrari engine, um, and he's he's just a winner. And the thing that makes him great too, John, is he's such a team guy. So when we talk about building culture and what the great programs have and what we're trying to build. Isaiah is so important on so many other levels, just, you know, not just on talent. It's, it's how he approaches life, the type of teammate he is, the leadership that he brings and how he lives his life. So that's a big thing for us, but uh, he's a guy, I think uh, is going to be a high level rebounder, a guy who could score in the posts and a, a guy that you can depend on every night uh, to be arguably the best player on the floor every night he plays. Now, he is one massive piece of this recruiting class. The other is Jaden McDaniels, local kid who, again, is a little bit more of a hybrid forward. If there was one player, past or present, that Jaden McDaniels most reminds Mike Hopkins of, who is it? Well, gosh, there's so many you know great players. Uh, I've never really seen a player that has that skill at that size. And so when you talk about, you know, people compare him to Kevin Durant, uh, you know, people compare him to a lot of guys. But I think the thing that makes him unique is, is uh, you know, we talked about obviously the, 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 the talent, but um, I think he's going to be the best Jade McDaniels. I, I think, you know, you can have comparisons back and forth. This is a guy I think people are sleeping on his, his what he's going to be able to impact in our game defensively. I think everybody looks at that offensive side, like his the way he shoots it is elite uh, for his size. He can handle the ball uh, like a guard at 6'10". But the thing that I'm so excited about uh, is, you know, he blocks shots, he rebounds. There's so many different areas. So, so I think this is going to be the type of player that a lot of people haven't seen, and they're going to be – you know, I, I I hate to say this, but he's even better than I thought when we recruited him, having him in the, in the practice that we've had. I mean, he does so many things to impact the game. Well, and this is the interesting thing. You brought up what he's going to do defensively. Those two guys are going to be the pieces in bold print that everybody looks to. But, you know, I was in Seattle last year. I watched your team practice. There's many other players on your roster 
Sam Timmons, Brian Penn Johnson, who have significant <laughs> size. I'd also obviously throw guys like Nas Carter and Hamir Wright and Nate Roberts, a redshirt freshman who's 6'10 in that mix. And what I'm saying here is considering the size you have and the length you have, is this team so far through three seasons the team that has the best chance to be the most suffocating in the 2-3 zone since you've gotten to Washington? You know, there's there's very few players, obviously, like Matisse Steibel. He's just a rare kid. Defensively, David, they got it because they were two years under their belt. But when you talk about we have the potential with that size and length, uh, yes. But that's the potential part of it. You know, there's a lot of learning to it. There's a lot of rotations. Uh, but, they were, you know, we're doing this international trip, which is allowing us to have some practices earlier and getting it. And I'm very surprised with the way that they've – They've embraced it. And so I think potentially it has a chance to be an elite defensive team with our size, our length, and our depth, too, at those positions. Because last year we played Jalen at the bottom, who was 6'3", Noah Dickerson a lot at the five at, at uh, you know, at 6'6", uh, 6'7", six, 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 and David Chris six foot. So we could have a front line of 7'6", 6'11", and 6'8", six, 6'9", six, with 7'5", with seven seven, wingspans. And that's, that poses a lot of problems for opposing offenses. Washington head coach Mike Hopkins joined the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. Now, you had a high-level commitment in the season last year in Kentucky transfer Quade Green. He is out of the fishbowl now that he was in when he grew up in Philadelphia. He is now in the great Northwest. How has Quade Green evolved at Washington right now versus the day he stepped on for campus? I think at the beginning, you know, it was new for him, but you could see uh, the level of competition in our practices just increase in a lot of ways. I think he had a lot to do with that, just his presence. You know, he's an elite guard. He's an elite uh, teammate. He's an elite playmaker that makes others around him better, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get an accumulation of players that, uh, you know, make others better, and they play for something greater than themselves. And Quade exemplifies that, and you know he's, you know, you remember in EYBL he led the EYBL in assists, but he also has the ability to score, and he's an elite shooter. So we're just so excited to have him and get him on the court, and he's made a great transition and really enhanced the program. Now the sleeper to me in your program, and I know this because this guy I loved this guy when I saw him practice, is Jamal Bay. Because he's another guy, especially with Quad A Green set not to start until after the first semester, that could be a facilitator and a guy who can get into the teeth of the defense for Washington in 1920. How big of a piece is Jamal Bay for Washington this season and beyond? Well, I think all our veterans coming back, you know, people are, like you said at the beginning, are sleeping on them. You know what I mean? Jamal Bay. Uh, is a guy, uh, he can pass, dribble, and shoot, as simple as it sounds. He's got great size. He's got some great strength. He played his best basketball last year uh, in the Pac-12 tournament the last couple games and then in the NCAA tournament. And that's rare when a kid probably could have started at every single one of our, our the programs in our league, and he was coming off the bench and he wasn't playing a lot. But, he's, you know, it showed a lot about his character. He kept getting better, kept working and waiting for his opportunity. And he really, really improved. So he's going to be a huge asset for us this year and be a huge, you know, if we have the success we think we can have, he'll be a big part of it. Well, Nas Carter is expected to be a big part of it as well. You mentioned you lost Matisse Thibel. You also lost Jalen Noel. Nas Carter now steps into more of a primary role on the perimeter. What can we expect from him here now that some of those other guys are no longer at the focal point for Washington? 
he's I, he's going to explode. You know, he's he's a kid that uh, you know he you know watching Matisse in terms of how he plays uh, defensively, he's disruptive, uh, high level uh, offensive rebounder. He's really improved his shot, but this kid can score. And uh, last year, if he made a mistake, I'd take him out within a second. He's going to be able to play through some of those this year, John, uh, because he's just his work ethic, uh, his leadership, and the kid can just flat out score. And that's the great thing about the great programs that we're trying to build here is, you know, guys leave, uh, they have success, and then the next group comes in. They're, they're trained, they're ready, they know the system, and then they can take on that role. And I think... Uh, Nas is one of those guys who's going to take a significant role this year in the likes of Matisse and Jalen. Now, one thing that is should be vastly different for guys like Nas Carter and you know the program in general is the Pac-12 should be significantly better top to bottom as a conference. We saw great yeah. recruiting, not just obviously with Washington, but Arizona, but USC. When you look right now and you forecast the league for next season, what do you think will be the biggest differences and who do you see making the biggest improvements? Well, I think, you know, getting back to, you know, the, the, the Pac-12 when we got here is, is taking a lot of hits, you know, nationally. I thought last year in defense of the league, I, you know, and being in the league and being in the ACC and the Big East, a lot of great programs, a lot of great coaches, and a lot of great talent. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, per team uh, of NBA players, like we have as many NBA players per team in the NBA than I think any other league. Uh, right there with the ACC. And so, you know, we've got a lot of talent. I think last year, you know, you got to have success in that tournament. I think our, you know, winning games, Oregon being a 12 seed, getting all the way to the Sweet 16, obviously Arizona State winning a game, we showed better. And, you know, when they talked about the requiem of the Big East, when it started, it started with what? They talked about the, the recruiting, the Chris Mullen, the Patrick Ewings, you know, the recruiting stepped up. And to see what our league has done this year, I think is a great step. Uh, in the right direction uh, to really, you know, uh, you know, giving credibility in the, in the recruiting front. And, uh, you know, I think what you said, I think from top to bottom, we've added some new really good coaches. You know, Kyle Smith is a great coach. Mark Fox is a great coach. A lot of guys come in this league. There's going to be a lot of change, but I'm excited for that. You know, I take a lot of pride in our league and uh, it starts with talent and then it's, you know, it has coaching and some great programs. So, Keep getting better, move forward, and hopefully we can represent the league in a high fashion. Well, and that obviously is something that's going to carry over moving forward when you look at the league taking steps to get more teams in the NCAA tournament. The Pac-12 put something in place that a year from now, during the 2021 season, the league is going to go to 20 games. Now that you may have two less games to play with, how might that affect the way you schedule? Because you've been very aggressive since you've gotten the job at you know playing all over the country. Yeah, well, we just we want to play and to be the best. You got to play the best, and you got to play them any place, anytime, anywhere. And that's been our philosophy. Um, and uh, you know, I think adding the two games uh, in league, I think, is a huge thing. Um, I think it's it's really big um, as we move forward um, uh, that you get an extra home game. I mean, it's hard to schedule. No one really wants to come and play out west. So it gives us two really good games, again, uh, to play. And uh, I don't think it's going to change uh, what we do in terms of scheduling. I, you know, we, we believe in, you know, playing three or four top-notch teams in the non-conference. And, 
Uh, I think it's going to be, you know, gauging on, on who we have returning and those types of things. But I think the 20-game schedule is a huge advantage for our league, and it's going to be a huge attribute, good for all teams. Well, you've made, a, obviously, a concerted effort not just to recruit in your native New York, but also to play as close to that as you as possible. You played in Atlantic City last year against Virginia Tech. You're playing in Toronto this year against Tennessee. But there is another game that people in the Northeast, I think, have interest in. And I'm curious, I know you talk to Coach Beheim a lot, would we ever potentially see a Washington-Syracuse matchup in the non-conference? And would you ever do that? You know what? Uh, you, you, you know, Coach Bam's been my mentor and obviously a close friend, confidant, all those different things. And, you know, you never want to, you never want to play against uh, people that you love and that you have unless you have to play them in the tournament. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, if it, if it ever came down, they wanted to play us. You know, I, I learned from him. He hated going out west. He's like, you know, even the Hawaii trip, we ended up doing it later. But it's such a long trip to go coast to coast. We, we've been forced because we're trying to build something uh, to the extent of what Syracuse is. But, um, you know, hopefully we both can have a lot of success and hopefully we're both playing each other for a national championship. What's the biggest thing, Mike, that you find that you use from him on a day-to-day basis? I don't know. You know, there's so many things, uh, you know, that you learn. And then there's in the intuitiveness of being around somebody for so long that you would kind of always refer to. Um, the thing that I respect so much, obviously, in so many different areas and, and being around Coach Krzyzewski with USA Basketball is, is how consistent those guys have been over time and really understanding how hard it is to win. But the one thing I'll tell you about uh, both of them, and they're different in so many different ways, but they're incredible competitors and incredible uh, preparers, and they understand the game inside and out. And it's uh, it's interesting when you when you look at Coach Bam. There's so many different references uh, during a game. Uh, you know, you know, you're playing and you're sitting there going, "Well, we're on the road." We, you know, in my mind, I'm going, "We got to keep scoring on the road." You know, that's he's always, "We got to keep scoring on the road." Uh, you, you know, you go back to your USA experiences and it's like Coach K and, 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 and the culture and, and how to, you know, talk to these kids and motivate them on a day-to-day basis. And there's just so many great lessons because I've been able to play and work with so many great coaches. Um, um, but the biggest thing that I've, I've taken away from both of them is, is they've, they've, they've mastered the art of taking complicated things and making it simple through their experience. And what I'm trying to do is simplify stuff don't try to overcoach. Try to coach correct. Um, and uh, I think that's the biggest thing where I can take those lessons that I've learned and kind of speed through that experience part. And that, I think that's really helped us with our success. Well, it's interesting because, you know, we were going back and forth last week because I was up in Syracuse for practice. And that's the biggest thing that I think people take away is that the simplicity is the genius and the genius is the simplicity. Like things might not be complicated, but just at the right time when they need to be tweaked, Coach Beheim knows when to tweak them. I mean, all coaches, as you know, or most coaches are so hands on. There's probably not a lot of coaches that would allow themselves to act like that. Well, it was interesting. We were in a situation last year that we were trying to make some adjustments in our zone and kind of, you know, they were a little bit, you know, risky, new, um, and we just got crushed. And I took back on the staff. We were all in there, and I'm going, we're going back to tried and true. You know, it's been, I, you know, you look at Syracuse, it's been one of the most consistent winning systems in the history of college basketball. 
And so like, there's, there's something to be said for that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where we take a lot of pride here. We try to put our own spin on it and trying to build something. We'll keep evolving, keep growing because when things stop growing, they die. And, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, but there's so many great lessons from then, John, that, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you go back to your notes and you're like, oh yeah, I remember that situation. And so any situation that you're dealing with, you can always reference what you learned through, what you went through. And that's where I was really, really fortunate to work for an incredible coach. Well, in addition to coaching and, you know, you've coached not just obviously at Washington and Syracuse, but also for USA basketball, you've also spent some time in the media and, you know, studying this league, I think, you know, the Pac-12, one through seven, one through eight next year is going to be like splitting an atom because it's so hard to figure out. Give me a team that you think not named Washington will be in the mix at the top, not named Washington, not named Arizona for the league title, and then give me a sleeper that you think might be lying in the weeds. So I can't say Arizona? Can't say Arizona. Um, I'm going to go with, I, I really, you know, I, I, I think, I think Dana Altman's as good a coach as there is in the country. Uh, and they've got a lot of new pieces. They're, they're going to be dangerous late. They always are. Um, I think a sleeper team here, uh, has been, is going to be USC. I think their talent is, is high level. Uh, they're a very good offensive team. Andy Enfield has done a great job. Uh, but there's so many good coaches. I think the bottom part of the league will be a lot better uh, from top to bottom, which is going to really enhance our league. Um, you know, I, 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 a team that hasn't gotten over the hump to the, you know, there, but they're really good, and he's a great coach, is Wayne Tinkle at Oregon State. Um, they've got, uh, you know, Ethan Thompson is a high-level player. Uh, you know, the big kid's one of the best shot blockers in the country, and obviously his son is, you know, arguably the best player in the league. So, um you know, so many teams, but like you said, it's like splitting an atom. Splitting an atom. No doubt about it. Well, we know you're headed to Italy for a foreign tour. Safe travels, enjoy the good meals, and of course, you know, make sure you have your coffee in hand. Johnny, thank you, buddy. We'd like to thank Washington's head coach, Mike Hopkins, for joining the College Hoops Today podcast. We want to remind you to subscribe to the College Hoops Today podcast on Apple Podcasts. We want to be your Bible for the college basketball season and beyond. We are the only college basketball podcast coming to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year. Also want to remind you to check out the College Hoops Today fan page on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a review. Let us know what you think of the product we're bringing to you 52 weeks out of the calendar year and time now for our social media portion of the college hoops today podcast with john rothstein send me your pac-12 related questions on twitter i'm at john rothstein that's john j-o-n and our first question right now is going to come from a Colorado fan. It's Walter Waddell, and it's John. Why would you buy stock in Tyler Bay? To me, Tyler Bay is a player that is extremely underrated, not just in the Pac-12, but nationally. He had double-doubles in 11 of his final 16 games of last season. Tyler Bay is one of the main reasons why Colorado is much more than just McKinley Wright, their dynamite star guard. And I think... Colorado has the chops 
to get back to the NCAA tournament under Tad Boyle. Going to be interesting to see, though, how the Buffs handle the increased competition around the league. Some people in the Pac-12 felt Colorado last year played so well because the Pac-12 was down. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I expect Colorado to be in contention for an NCAA tournament berth. Our next question comes from Mike Rodriguez, and it's John. How many bids do you see for the Pac-12 in 2020? I look at the Pac-12 as being a 4-5 to bid league in 2020. Obviously, Arizona, Washington, and Oregon will be very much in the mix as long as, obviously, everybody stays healthy. Knock on wood for all those three programs. And then you look at that next tier. Colorado, UCLA, USC, Arizona State. I think two other teams will find their way into the field of 68. And the Pac-12 preseason power rankings are sponsored by our friends at Geico. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com and in 15 minutes you could save 15% or more on core insurance. And now let's get to those rankings. John's Pac-12 Power Rankings. I'm going with Arizona at one. I think the combination of Nico Mannion and Josh Green along with Brandon Williams on the perimeter could give Arizona the most dynamic perimeter in this conference. They're one. Washington, two, with Isaiah Stewart and Jaden McDaniel. Some good returning players as well, led by Nas Carter. Oregon at three, Colorado four, Arizona State, the backcourt of Remy Martin and Rob Edwards is back at five for Bobby Hurley and company, UCLA at six. A big thing to keep in mind when you look at UCLA right now at six. This roster, even though UCLA lost Jalen Hands, Chris Wilkes, and Moses Brown, still to me, after watching it work out in practice when I was in California in May, more talented man for man than any roster Mick Cronin had at Cincinnati. Going to be interesting to see how much mileage the Bruins get out of Tiger Campbell, the redshirt freshman. USC at 7, Oregon State at 8, Utah 9, then Stanford, Washington State, and Cal. Now, how about the Pac-12 preseason first team? John's Pac-12 preseason first team. I have got Peyton Pritchard from Oregon, McKinley Wright from Colorado, Nico Mannion, on there from Arizona, the dynamic guard, Trace Tinkle from Oregon State, and then Isaiah Stewart from Washington. Now, how about Pac-12 Preseason Player of the Year? John's Pac-12 Preseason Player of the Year. It's Trace Tinkle from Oregon State. Now, I don't know necessarily if Trace Tinkle will be the Pac-12 player of the year at the end of the season, but what he's done statistically, how productive he's been, Oregon State's a team that played very well in conference play last year. They are beginning this voyage thinking that they're going to be an NCAA tournament again, team again under Wayne Tinkle. Now, how about a sleeper? John's Pac-12 Sleeper. It's got to be UCLA with Mick Cronin. Now, I know it's weird for people to think of UCLA as a potential sleeper, but UCLA is in a situation where they are going to have sophomores take major steps. Jules Bernard, Chris Smith, David Singleton, Cody Riley, Jalen Hill, these are all guys that have the chops to make massive leaps. Not take nibbles, but take bites and get better. How about some impact freshmen? John's freshman to watch in the Pac-12. Three from Arizona, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, and Zeke Naji. People think that Zeke Naji could be a big force for this team up front. Isaiah Stewart, Jaden McDaniels from Washington, Isaiah Mobley and Onyeka Okongwu from USC, CJ Walker at Oregon, and two redshirt freshmen at UCLA, Tiger Campbell and then Sharif O'Neal, the son of Shaquille O'Neal. How about some impact transfers? 
Johns transfers to watch in the Pac-12. Quad A Green at Washington. Chris Duarte from Oregon, the top Juco player in the country last year. Anthony Mathis and Shakur Justin at Oregon as well. Shakur Justin, the grad transfer from UNLV. Daniel Utomi and Quinton Adlesh, grad transfers from Akron and Columbia, respectively at USC. They combined last season to make 163 three-point shots. Max Hazard and Stone Gettings at Arizona. And then two Juco imports at Arizona State, Alonzo Verge and Khalid Thomas. Alonzo Verge should be a major factor for the Sun Devils on the perimeter. Now, how about some breakout, guys? John's Pack 12 breakout players for next season. Tayshawn Cherry at Arizona State. Then I got three at UCLA. Jules Bernard, Chris Smith, and David Singleton. Elijah Weaver at USC, who should be the Trojan starting point guard. Evan Batty from Colorado. Two guys on Washington. You heard Mike Hopkins talk about earlier. Nas Carter and Jamal Bay. Alfred Hollins at Oregon State. And Oscar Da Silva at Stanford. We'd like to thank Washington head coach Mike Hopkins for joining the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein. We'll be back next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. This was the College Hoops Today podcast with John Rothstein.